What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Stand and Fight podcast with your host, Rob Eastman, and my buddy, Derek Weshey. How's it going, Derek? Good. Good. Glad to be back on. Glad to get going again. We're, uh, we're excited today. We've got a, a special guest here, Adam Fager, teacher at Leighton High. But Adam, I'll let you uh, kind of introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, so I teach special education Layton High School, mild to moderate learning disabilities. What does that mean, mild uh, to moderate disabilities? Pretty much, usually when I explain, I just say like kids like me, like <laughs> you know, like I, ADHD, dyslexia, like people that they they can be in general ed classrooms and and it, they just need a little extra get, time. Get behind. Yeah, yeah that's where. I should have been. I was never there. I was just always behind. And I, my background on it, I, I had an IEP, and I was, I was in those resource-setting classrooms up until, I think, like, eighth grade. And I just kind of, like, fought my mom enough, finally, that she, like, withdrew services. And I think, in some ways, that was a really good decision because I, I had to learn to, like, do things on my own. Nobody was going to do me any favors type of thing. But on the same note, I missed out on a lot of, a lot of really good. Yeah. I, I had the same thing. You got out of there earlier. I, I was halfway through my sophomore year. I finally was able to get out of mine, but I was grateful for it in a lot of ways, thinking back, especially through those junior high and early high school years, getting, getting things moving, moving. So, so you, you said that you fought your mom about it. Did you feel like, uh, like the dumb kid in school like people knew that you were in there and you didn't want to be like that or what was did it create some issues inside of you personally yeah i mean when i probably around that time so like i, I was kind of like the chubby kid like i was short and fat and like i, I was decent at, at sports and stuff so like i kind of identified myself as as like an athlete but I wasn't athletic per se because you know my my body type my my build um at least that was my my perception of myself right and as i in in elementary school you don't know a difference really because they pull you out of your normal classes and so like while they're doing reading time you're doing reading time and just in a different room type of thing so it's not as noticeable but then when you get to junior high they have actual classrooms that you're going to right and so there's a bigger uh there's a bigger disconnect i think when you start having to be in an actual classroom like you're not in the same classroom as your peers and and that that that's one thing in special education that they really try to do is uh create the least restrictive environment so uh that that pretty much means if you can be in general ed and you you just need like a study hall type of a class to help support that. That's what they want to do. And but I I tried to compensate uh, my lack of ability in those classes with like humor and things like that. Like a lot of students in special education kind of do that. They they feel like they have to compensate for yeah. some reason. And and the truth is is like I wasn't. I don't know, Derek, like, I'm not, I, I think you might agree, like, I'm not necessarily an unintelligent person. And and a lot of those students, it's not that they're not intelligent, right? It's it's just they learn a little bit slower, right? They, it takes them longer. I have to be more patient to do the math that I do than a, a normal person because I mix up numbers, I get distracted, things like that. Yeah. And so in a general education classroom, 
there's not as much of a tolerance for patience. And and so like that's what I didn't understand. I I could do anything. I believed I could do anything. I just didn't have the patience to and nobody else had the patience with me to do it. So I was goofed off and so fighting with my mom, right? Like that that came because I I started feeling like uh, a separation from my peers, especially the peers that were on my sports teams and things like that. Yeah. So, so how did you get into one teaching and two that teaching special ed? So uh, having that background in special education, I that was always kind of in the back of my head. I also wrestled uh, and played football, and and I wrestled for Utah Valley University. Uh, great and up upcoming program in in Division one wrestling uh, I while I was there and getting an education through wrestling uh, getting that paid for from scholarships I got a degree in psychology and I realized like man I don't know how many less useful bachelor's degrees you can have (laughs) like i loved it my dad's a therapist and he's a lcsw licensed clinical social worker and he he does an awesome job with what he does is his therapy and stuff and i just always was inspired by that so i learned that i had the ability to understand people and to connect with people and and so as i was going for for my bachelor's degree in psychology, I also realized I didn't want to spend the money on a master's degree. I started a family, started having kids, and I realized like I need to make some money now. So one thing that in the state of Utah is they're struggling to find teachers a lot of the time, and so they have alternate route to licensures. So I can get my teaching license if I have a bachelor's degree and they'll hire me and I have three years to take the classes I need to take. So I went that route and I, I could have done general ed math or general ed science. But one thing I realized was, you know, I, I learned something uh, while I was in college and throughout coaching. And I, it's something I really believe is that individualized instruction is the f- best form of instruction. You can't beat it because yeah. it's personalized to their needs, right? It's tailored to their needs. So as I uh, I took that psychology background and I realized that I could actually apply that a lot because a lot of those kids that were just like me started using humor and started acting out in class to compensate for their, their perception of their lack of ability. Mm-hmm. And so they... Uh, I, I realized, like, man, I, I understand these kids, and, and it's a smaller setting. I could I could really connect with these kids and make a difference in their lives. Where, like, my brother John was teaching a, at Layton with me the, the past four years. He was in a general ed setting. He had 40 kids in a classroom, six periods, you know, three periods a day. It, it's hard to even remember all those kids' names, right? Yeah, absolutely. What uh, one thing that you had kind of hit, hit mentioned a time or two is perception of yourself and kids' perception of themselves. I know you and I had talked before a little bit about how you address kids with those special, I mean, mild to mild to moderate issues, and how you address their their needs in their perception in the perception world. Uh, 
So that's one thing that whether it's athletics or teaching, right, is uh, what what reality is 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 our perception of uh, uh, the way we perceive the our circumstances in our environment, right? So no matter no matter what, if I think people are crazy, like I'm going to see crazy people, right? If I think people are relax i'm going to see relaxed people you know like it, my perception changes a lot and it really actually changes a lot of the 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 chemicals that are released in our brain like if you have a positive out attitude there's more oxytocin serotonin released in your brain if you have a negative attitude there's more uh cortis- cortisol cortisol mm-hmm. yeah and that's like our, our stress hormone right so one one big thing is i i really believe on I think the wheel that I, I the the motivating factor that I try to push in all my relationships, whether I'm a teacher, or a coach, or in my own family, is uh, we got to progress. We got to be better today than we were yesterday. Be better tomorrow than we were today. And one way I like to put that is our potential best selves. So a lot of the time we don't understand. Or, or we think we wake up in the morning, we have certain things we have to do. And if we wake up late, we're like, ah, I don't know, just a lazy day then. And we're, we're not going to do it, right? But uh, Simon Sinek, I think, he said that you get like, you make about 500 decisions in any given day, right? And so if when, as soon as you make that decision, you wake up on time, that's your first decision of the day, Right you have 499 more decisions. And if your potential best self at that moment is for 500 decisions made correctly, right? That's your potential. Say you make a few mistakes, you make some wrong decisions. That doesn't mean you're a failure. It means that your potential's changed. And so you reach for that potential, right? On any given day. So when I ask my athletes, what I ask my students is, I ask them to be their potential best self every single day and, and strive for that. Yeah, we were talking about that yesterday in camp about your 100% is different every single day, but you got to get up and you got to give that 100%. I went up this morning with Tyson. Mm-hmm. My little nephew, he wanted to go mountain biking with me. So I told him, okay, be at my house tonight at 830. You're going to sleep over and we're going to go to the gym at 530 in the morning. And that that's where I lost him. <laughs> so his dad gets on the phone and he's like, hey, what uh, what other time can we go? I'm like, you can be at the gym at 6.30 when I'm getting done with training, and then we can go after that. And uh, heard him in the background, but he ended up showing up, and we went up. He's a 10-year-old, first time on his mountain bike. He rode up top of Elephant Rock in 37 minutes. Wow. And we get up there, and we're sitting, and he had this look on his face like he'd never seen anything like this before. That's cool air. The sun's just coming over the mountains. And he just got this good energy. And then we start heading down the trail and we get down to the bottom and he sees the clock. He's like, it's, it's only nine o'clock. So I'm not even awake by now. And he just felt so like he, he'd won the day already before anybody had woke up. And that's, that's a huge part of when I see that in kids' eyes and coaching and things like that, where you just show them a little bit different and they can move forward in their own way and find new, new decision-making skills and, and, uh, and they can have that little bit of enlightenment. It's pretty rad. Yeah, I think for me, I I noticed, I because I I was similar to to your nephew, a lot all the way up until I started. 
coaching really like I, I was selfish with my sleep you know <laughs> I like like even being a division one athlete at one point in my career as ranked eighth in the nation like I was okay at what I did right I was selfish with my sleep like I did not want to wake up early in the mornings and I thought I was entitled to at least one morning a week that I could just sleep in and it was just bogus right especially when you have goals especially to realize looking back hindsight's 2020 looking back at my career and realizing man I had that attitude and I thought I was going to accomplish this yeah. <laughs> you know like yeah. it, it, you can't have both right but one the one thing that really changed my perspective and really changed my experience was when I started coaching all of a sudden boom there's no more desire to sleep in I don't I wake up every single morning and I'm at that during the school year I'm at Layton High School 6 a.m. running workouts for anyone that wants to be there for my wrestling team for the football team for anyone that wants it I'm willing to be there and help them and help them be their potential best self no questions asked right and I I don't and very rarely am I ever upset about it, you know, because I, I'm I'm connected to them. I'm not doing it for me anymore, right? And that's yeah. a big difference, right? Yeah, but, I think it's that that part that I've learned more as a coach than I ever did as an athlete. Absolutely. Yeah. I was the same way. I didn't have to go to Pratt. I was a high-level soccer player, played in Europe in my senior year in high school. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't even have to try out. I was on the team, I'd, you know, all these things, and I look back now and – with, with my kids, it's like, man, you guys are shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. Like, whether you get up early, late, you're still going to have to do the work. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you guys get in that grind and, and move forward, it's crazy. I was the same, you know, same way. Didn't want to get up. But as a coach, it's like, man, I'm learning so much. So how do you feel so like, how do you feel like our listeners or anybody here around that you tell when they, when you talk about being your potential best self, what is one of the easiest ways to get started with that mindset? Uh, so the, the, kind of what I was talking, the, so I, I, with my athletes a lot, especially at being summer, I don't have as much contact with my students, but uh, with, with the athletes I work with, uh, some of the things, some of the biggest things is once you decide that, that, yeah, that's a worthy purpose, that's a worthy goal, is I want to be my potential best self, and you accept that. Uh, one thing that I had a my college wrestling coach, he's my club coach before that, uh, Greg Williams, he taught me that before you write a goal down, it's nothing else, nothing but a dream. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you write that goal down, I don't know where he got the statistics from, but it sounds legit. <laughs> so he said, as soon as you write that goal down, it becomes 50% more likely that you're going to achieve that goal, right? Yeah. And then if you put it somewhere that you're going to see frequently uh, and you see it multiple times throughout a day, multiple times throughout an hour even, uh, what happens is it, it, it increases from 50% likely likelihood that you accomplish a goal to like 75% likelihood, which is, which is crazy. And the funny thing is I... I put that to the test. I didn't know where he was getting those statistics from, but I put it to the test and that was my experiences. Yeah. But but the reason why is cuz what I've learned is motivation, what I the way I define motivation is the the, the emotional desire to change for the better. So, 
if if that's our definition of motivation i get like other people maybe even webster's dictionary has a, a little bit different definition but if you if we go based upon that that definition uh the the hard part about motivation is it comes and goes it's like it's like the waves of the sea right mm-hmm. yeah so we tend to set goals when we're motivated but we tend to lose sight of those goals when we when we forget about them, when it's been a few hours, been a few days, been a few months. But the more frequent you can remind yourself of those goals, uh, the the better outcome. And so, like, my athletes, what I have them do is even for their phone youth these days, they look at their phone how many times in a minute, right? Yeah. I'd make a, I, I don't make them, but I invite them to put PBS. I give them a little acronym. PBS Kids, right? They, they, they don't forget that. Potential best self. Not public broadcasting system. Sorry. No, no copyright. Like, I'm not trying to infringe on copyrights. But I tell them, no, PBS. And they put it on their phone screens, their lock screens. They put on their wrestling shoes. And they so they're reminded, hey, I'm having a rough day. And I'm having a rough day in practice. I don't want to do this. They look at their shoes. Okay. Yeah, I can do this. I can be my potential best self. Even if I did bad already. I'm going to do better now, right? Uh, things like that. I think a lot of that comes from just having short-term memory loss. Like, just forgetting some of that, you know what, crap, I just lost a match, moving on to the next match, or or having a bad test in one class and not letting that carry off over into the next class, those kinds of things. I like that. So, yeah. I'm a big fan my, of the... My, my favorite quote, where it all really stems from, is uh, my favorite quote right now is Winston Churchill. And uh, he says, "No success is final. No failure is fatal." Yeah. That, that's my that's my jam. You know, yeah. that's what I love, and that that just feeds into that potential best self. You know, you hear you're, you hear you. I hear you say that a lot. <laughs> it's, it, it is so big. The failure's been put as a bad word when it's it's just such a major part of moving forward. And I don't know if you know anything about my story. If there's plenty of failure in it, but it's cemented my foundation of knowing what's what and uh and i continue to move forward and kids it's like man they're they're too afraid like at bountiful high where i'm at for coaching the kids would rather sit in the stands and say oh i could have beat that kid rather than try and show up and and i'm and i've pulled a few of them aside and i'm like man come in the wrestling room wrestle me and if you beat me then i'll never bother you again and they're just like man you know i just i really don't want to do it and it's they're so afraid of being seen failing which is it to them is an end all yeah like somehow they're gonna fall off the cool kid map or or whatever and it's just that's such that's something that we really need to focus on i think with the youth is that's just a part of the game yeah it's not a big deal my my dad has a saying uh there's no failure only feedback Right, I like that. Um, and it, so, it, I, same thing, right? Like, there's so many kids that they're they're terrified. And one of the one of the rules that we have when I do one on ones, when I coach wrestling, is, is you have to be willing to look stupid. If you're not willing to look stupid, you're you're. That's the, when true failure comes in, right? Yeah. And, and there's a difference between looking stupid and being stupid. And this is another thing I preach in my classroom, right? I, especially with with kids with special education, with those those needs, right? They uh, they're so afraid to get something wrong, to look stupid in front of their peers, and and 
so I try my best to create an environment where they feel safe to look stupid. Because when you're looking stupid, that means you're trying something new. You're not, it's, it's, you don't ever look stupid because you're doing something you're already good at. You know, yeah. you look stupid when you're trying something new. And the difference between looking stupid and being stupid is being stupid is you're making the same mistakes over and over. You're not progressing. You're not changing. You're not learning. And and that's that's the idea. Right. Is how. And that's why I love wrestling. That's why I love math. That's why I love just education is that the whole idea of learning and progressing. It's beautiful. Yeah, I agree. I agree. What do you do with your kids, Derek? Let them fall on the face. <laughs> My wife hates it, but it's great fun. No, we have a big thing in our family that's uh, that's a. Uh, I don't care what you do in life as long as you try. If you try your hardest, I mean, I don't, I don't. I that's how I was, was raised, and uh, that helped me a lot with some of my you know, ADD issues and anxiety issues growing up and being in those resource classes and um, having parents that have pretty big expectations. But it was as long as I gave my 100% effort, then it was then it works out. And so with my kids, it's the same thing. I mean, I expect those kids, hey, you know what? Try it. I don't care if you don't like it. Try it. You know, and if, if you give it an honest effort and it doesn't work out, then what, what did you learn? But nothing that nothing's going to hurt you from that. So kind of fun to see kids grow in the and that's that. i see more parents fail in that mindset of waiting for the kids to be older to ha- get them to actually try something they're already cemented in saying no it's like man people are like you're you take your kids on two wild of adventures yeah like, what what are you talking about you quit doing what you loved because you had kids you started living for your kids rather than being a good example by living for yourself and teaching them what true confidence looks like it's like that drives me crazy like well oh, we have kids we can't go like there's not many people that don't have kids yeah. you know let them see you try scary things try hard things so that they have the confidence to maybe try something they didn't dare do in the first place yeah like that's the example it's not yeah like, the rest of it's a, i have a really good experience with that uh coaching right i i found myself after i was done competing in college and stuff i i I lost sight of who I was, where I was at, so I, I had to readjust. And I had to readjust, set some new goals, and I, I'd never been able to do a backflip. And so in, in high school, right, I was, I, I was pretty fit. Like, I, I got out of that chubby phase that I mentioned earlier, and Derek remembers me. We'd practice sometimes. I, I was a pretty fit guy, but I, I never was even close to being able to do a backflip, right? I was 189 pounds, like about 7% body fat, like, most athletic time of my life but i wasn't able to do a backflip so then i we're, we're always preaching to our wrestlers right like you do our tumbling you do you do the warm-up right and you follow these progressions you'll you can teach yourself how to do a backflip you can you can do a backflip and they never really believed us right and there's some kids that were already pretty athletic that kind of already knew how to do it that they'd get it and everyone would just chalk that up to Nah, I, I'm not them, right? Yeah. And so what I decided one day, I was like, I need a goal. I'm going to teach myself how to do backflip. So it took me about six months of about 20 minutes, three or four times a week of, of just getting reps in. And I hit a wall where I wasn't quite getting past it. I, I could get pretty high, but I just kept reaching. Or uh, There was only one time I even landed on my head, but luckily there's a launch pad. It's a pretty funny video. <laughs> I'm sure I'll, I'll have to show you guys after. But uh, I, I 
started looking at these different YouTube videos, got a couple of tips from, from some students even. I humbled myself and asked some students, like, <laughs> how do you do this, right? And uh, finally, I figured it out. I was 27 years old when I first did my very first uh, round off to a backflip. Same day, hit a standing tuck. And I, I it, was, it felt amazing, right? The craziest thing happened on my wrestling team. All of a sudden, about before it was maybe like 10, 15% of the wrestler, wrestlers could do a backflip. We're about like 40, 50, 60% of the wrestlers are doing backflips, you know? Yeah. The, the large majority, oh, that big fat guy, you know? <laughs> he's, he's like two, 275, 270, 275, and he's doing a backflip. But if he can do it, you know I can. I'm I'm not that fat. I'm not that out of yeah. shape. And it's it's crazy that like you set that exam that example and and you're if you're willing to look stupid, yeah. right? I I think they'll it's, follow. Yeah, yeah. It's by far the most important. There's a lot of guys telling people what to do, and then there's others showing. And the ones who show have the that camaraderie that's just unbreakable with their kids. Yeah, I think that's. Yeah, super I important. I agree. Well, Adam, I, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing a little bit about your potential best self. When I when you told me that the first time, I it really resonated with me. I hope it resonates with you guys out there. And uh, Adam, how do they get a hold of you if they're interested in, in talking to you some more? Uh, I got an uh, email, Fager, F like in Frank, A-G-E-R dot wrestling at gmail.com uh, or they you could, coach a club too, don't you? A yeah, club up in Layton. Yeah, we coach Empire. Uh, it's our feeder club for Layton High School, and I run some individual one-on-one camps. So where I use my psychology and my psychology training, and we do mental sessions and wrestling sessions. So we combine, uh, and it's individualized. So they they get the best experience they can get, and uh, yeah. Great. Well, no, I appreciate you coming on. So say that email one more time. They can reach out to you. Uh, Fager.wrestling at gmail.com. Great. Yeah. Awesome. And if you have one thing, one motivational speech or anything that you could leave with our listeners, what would it be? Uh, I mean, I kind of hit, hit a lot of my favorite things. Uh, there's a uh, all my wrestlers, they... they I just even have to say what's my favorite quote and they all recite it, right? No success is final, no failure is fatal. And uh, along with that idea, I'd probably say uh, that if if you can be willing to look stupid, uh, there's no end to that progression. And, and I think the progression is, is the key. It's, it's the goal if we can have that growth mindset progress not perfection yeah and and maybe that maybe that's maybe that's it rob is that perfection i define perfection by your pursuit not by the attainment but the pursuit of it yeah are you are you working your butt off are you getting up when you fall when you fail when you give or when trials come right yeah Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Everybody go on and uh, subscribe, share it with your friends. We appreciate you guys listening. Again, this was Adam Fager on the Stand and Fight podcast. Your host, Rob Eastman, Derek Weshey. We're out. See ya.